Welcome to Half a Cinch. This is a music appreciation podcast where we talk about albums from the year 1972. That was 50 years ago. That's Half a Cinch. Um, my name is Mike. His name is JR. Hello. Uh, back with us is uh, our good friend, our former, current, and future bandmate, Ben Frazier. Hello. And joining us, a very special guest, first time on the show, Mr. Oh, sorry, Dr. Mike Frazier, Ben's dad. How you doing? I'm I'm doing great, guys. Now uh, I, I can uh, I can get a little windy, so uh, you know, just cut me off when you're ready. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we're here to talk, right? And uh, what they do in these highfalutin podcasts <laughs> uh, i'd say we're about mid midfalutin actually <laughs> um but ben uh said that you wanted to join us for this one in particular because it's near and dear to your heart uh i'll go ahead and tell everyone what we're talking about we're talking about john hartford and his album morning bugle uh we've covered a lot of uh genres so far in the show this will be the first time that we're going to t- be talking about bluegrass. Um, and yeah, so tell us uh, what's, tell us your, your relationship, your history with John Hartford, Mike. Well, gosh, um, again, I might get windy. Uh, I was, I was a pretty young man when I, I first became aware of John and, and that was either one of two places. Um, uh, one would have been the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour, which was a, a variety show of, of great popularity back in the late 60s, uh, early 70s would be my guess. And uh, John Hartford at the beginning of the show would get up out of the audience with his banjo and start into a song that he wrote and Glenn Campbell made a hit, uh, Gentle on My Mind. And uh, yeah, some people still know that song today because it's often covered. Um, yeah. The other place that I became aware of Hartford very early was the album Sweethearts of the Rodeo by uh, The Birds, which you talk about a, a an album that had an impact. Uh, you know, these uh, long hairs from California decided they were going to have a country music, uh, album. And it, uh, it turned some of us, uh, rock and rollers into country guys. And I would be one of those people. Um, and that was with Graham Parsons, right? Uh, Pars- that, that was Parsons was with them for a cup of coffee and that's what came out of it. It was, as I understand it, and Chris Hillman had a lot to do with it too, but you know, we're, we're kind of getting off track. I don't know if that's what you guys want me to do. Cause <laughs> no, that, that birds I can al- ramble. I can ramble that birds <laughs> album. That was uh, that sixties. Yeah. I, I, you know, I want to say 68. Okay. I'm, again, I'm not a, uh, an audiophile to the point where, uh, I I'm better with uh, sports Jersey numbers actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what, what number did uh, John Hartford wear? Uh, <laughs> In my estimation, he was 100. <laughs> the, uh, only, the only player ever given three numbers on a jersey. One, 100 
100% pure uh, genius, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good stuff. And so, you know, leading, you know, if I could just for a minute and uh, interrupt if I'm, I'm giving you things you don't want, but, no. uh, you know, the, the year was 1972 when, when Morning Bugle came out. Yeah. Uh, but I was already way into Hartford uh, before that. And uh, even Ben might not know this, but uh, there were other albums before Hartford went into some kind of a uh, transformation. And near as I can tell, it was all about production. Uh, and again, I'm not an authority on this kind of thing, but... Uh, you know, he was a brilliant songwriter and, you know, Gentle on My Mind is just one of many unbelievable songs he wrote. Um, but the Nashville sound was trying to make his thing go. Yeah. And you know what I mean by that. And, uh, and so uh, it was an interesting time. And I have to mention an album uh, of John Hartford's called Aeroplane, which was came out in 1971 and uh, all you have to do is look at the cover and know that this guy was uh turning everybody on upside down yeah uh, um, the country people the bluegrass people mm -hmm. um and you know the mandolin of sam bush gets credit a lot of times for being the father of newgrass and i'm i love sam bush and i would certainly give him the title but i think sam would say that john hartford uh and that area plane album probably started what got to become called new grass yeah so if if sam bush is the father then john hartford would be the uncle uh well john hartford would be yoda <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. all right yeah well, I mean, we've we've talked about uh, the Nashville sound on this show before. We we um, we had a an album where we talked about the uh, the producer. His name escapes me at the moment, but the guy who is credited with like creating the Nashville sound. He might have well, been certainly. I think Owen Bradley might be the name you're looking for, or perhaps uh, Chet Atkins himself. Yeah, uh, I think it was someone. It someone else. It was someone who worked with Chet Atkins. I, it might, it was either the, we covered a Dolly Parton album and we covered a Johnny Cash album. And I'm okay. pretty sure he was on one of those. Well, um, here again, you're kind of steering me into some areas that I'm not real good at uh, <laughs> regarding uh, producers. And a lot of times I pay attention to the musicians on an album, but I, I may not know who produced it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, here's, here's just some, uh, some quick facts about Morning Bugle. This was his ninth studio album. So like you said, he'd already been chugging along for a while, uh, you know, before this one came out. Uh, he did this one at Bearsville Studios in New York, which was uh, a famous place. A lot of people did. It was in is basically like Woodstock. It was like the studio they set up around that area. And uh, it, it just kind of it had a uh, uh, Ben loves this word. It had a vibe to it when uh, when people record there and um yeah, this was uh, only this was one of only two records he put out for Warner Brothers. Was uh, the one you mentioned? David Bromberg, the producer, or the uh, David Bromberg was he involved on Morning Bugle? 
Um, and I don't want to put you on the spot, you know. Now, uh, it, but I think he might have been involved with Aeroplane. Okay, well, this this one has a different producer. We'll we'll get to him later. Sure. Um, but um, but yeah. So was Aeroplane the other one that he put out for Warner Brothers? Ben, do you know that? Yeah, it is, and it I, is Bromberg is the producer on Aeroplane, but not on Morning People. Okay. okay. Well, so, I got know. I got one right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those those early seventies, those early seventies, he got to you know he got to do two records for a major label, and right. then and then I guess that was it. They're like either he was done with them or they were done with them at that point. And, you know, well, you know, uh, I was going to mention a few albums that were also influential to me, which would have led me to morning bugle. If you want me to. Yeah, sure. You can name off a couple. Sure. A couple. (laughs) (laughs) We got a lot of, we got a lot of ground to cover. All right, man. Um, I, I think you have to mention that area plane album, which, came out in 71 and i think it's important for you know your listeners or you guys in general to listen to the album that came right before that which i believe was called iron mountain depot and and if you want to see how hartford changed listen to Iron Mountain Depot and then put on Aeroplane and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll hear the Nashville production in the other one. The okay. Person. Lots of like choral arrangements and strings and strings. stuff. That was kind of popular back in the 60s. Exactly. And bring, um, you know, bring some horns in while you're at it. Well, Hartford goes to this little studio sticks a jazz upright bass player and a and the keeper of uh american flat picking norman blake along with doc watson um you put him in the trio and then you go in and sit around a i'm guessing wasn't too elaborate of a a, i think it was one microphone but we we that yeah well I, i wouldn't know about that but it's very uh spartan is that a that's probably not a term in recording uh language it's, but it's like stripped down sparse yeah raw stripped down and we just want to hear the instruments and uh we don't want a lot of uh horns and uh so this this was the this was the behind. this was the change that came in the early 70s like after the nashville sound so it's it's interesting the hair out yeah uh, you know Got so it's crappy and he he kind of changed his deal but he yeah. was a genius long before that there's songs that i could we could do a podcast on those songs and not even get to morning bugle uh, <laughs> yeah so it's it's interesting then that he was on warner brothers at that time he was on this major label but he wanted his transformation like went completely the opposite direction yeah. of what a major label would probably want from him which I yeah, love, I so it makes me love history. it so much. I don't know the history. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe he, maybe he did a Waylon Jennings and said, "I'm, I'm taking over this operation. I want to <laughs> record it this way." I don't know, but I know that uh, something, a switch got flipped, and uh, that's about the time that I got really interested in banjo mm-hmm. and. Um, 
And again, in, in 1972, if I may, I was uh, in the spring, I was a, a senior in high school. And in the fall, I was a freshman uh, at Kansas State University in Manhattan, Kansas. Go Wildcats, middle of nowhere. <laughs> and that's where I grew up. And yet I was exposed to all this stuff. And I was a son of a school teacher and a basketball coach and uh, my hair was pretty darn short when I left to go to college. And here's this crazy character on the front of who I was familiar with on the front of an album cover. And, uh, that started to change things. And then the other album I have to mention very briefly is the nitty gritty dirt bands album. Uh, will the circle be unbroken? I, I am familiar with that one via Ben. It, it, it was revolutionary. Uh, it took us youngsters and uh, introduced us to Merle Travis and Roy Acuff and Mother Maybell Carter and on and on and on and Vassar Clements, who did a lot of fiddle work for John Hartford. Um, this was all happening around this time. And uh, Richard Nixon was the president. Well, big, big bluegrass fan, Nixon. Nixon was, <laughs> I don't know. More, uh, he was more of a metal detector guy. <laughs> but his, know, his, his favorite album was uh, uh, Wiretaps. I'm, I'm pretty not, sure. I'm not sure, but, you know, I brought it up for a reason, you know, uh, that was what was going on. Yeah. Uh, um, and in the summer, I probably sacked groceries at the grocery store. So now we're, you know, we're somewhere. Uh, about to talk to Morning Bugle about Morning Bugle. Yeah. And you're a musician yourself. Yeah. Uh, I am an amateur musician. Wow. Uh, uh, proudly. Uh, no one starts out as a professional. <laughs> yes. Uh, if only we could. Uh, there's some talented people that have a gift. Um, and I feel lucky for what little bit of gifts I have in this area. But, uh, I decided, I heard John Hartford as a freshman uh, on campus in a little, it was called the Cat Skeller. And I heard him, I was a freshman uh, fraternity pledge who was supposed to be cleaning the house that night, but my brother sent me off because they knew I had to hear John Hartford. And I went and hid behind the speakers in case any of the actives were there. And, uh, I watched John Hartford live and, uh, I, oh, bought, wow. a, I, I bought a banjo. Yeah. <laughs> you, you went out that right after seeing him, you went out and bought a banjo. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's what happened. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm sure you <laughs> weren't the only one. Well, it was, it was an interesting time for music and the, the dirt band was filling up stadiums and, uh, you know, there were a lot of other things going on like disco which was, uh, along with Hartford, was uh, another thing pushing me to, toward the sound of the pedal steel, a banjo. Uh, I'd, I'd, I was done with uh, Donna Summers. <laughs> Maybe because I was a bad dancer, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just another testament to why how badass it was of him on Warner Brothers who 
probably is putting out a disco record in 72 that he's putting down this stripped down one mic record you I'm know gonna give, i'm, I'm gonna it. give the people this and see if it see if it sticks yeah and, and it, I, yeah. it did in its own very special way yep yeah i mean that, that's bluegrass forever yep. yeah uh yeah i mean really the only the only thing i could uh really find on it um i think ben brought this up but uh there were barely any overdubs to it so it was like they you know they laid it down i think maybe if they didn't like it they would give it another take and then that was pretty much it like yeah. they, didn't, they didn't go back into the studio to do anything else with it they just handed it over to the mixer it, it, it's like they were playing on your porch yeah. There is a there is a note from John Simon on the back of this vinyl that uh -huh. um, that by the way has yeah Michael Fraser five hundred sunset on it. Oh, oh, hey, that record has your, you signed that record. Did you release uh, sign some kind of a release to display that? Five <laughs> hundred sunset. <laughs> Uh, I don't anymore, but that that was uh, Beta Theta Pi uh, at Kansas State. Uh, <laughs> anybody's interested in that piece of trivia? <laughs> do, do you want me to read what John? Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, go ahead. All right, John. On the back, you uh, it says three people made all the music in this album. Yeah, played facing each other in a circle from left to right were John Hartford. Dave Holland and Norman Blake. And that's the way they should be coming back to you through the speakers. Yeah. John played the banjo most of the time and Norman the guitar, but they traded a guitar and mandolin back and forth as well. There was little overdubbing because John and Norman are hot fiddle and dobro and dobro player, respectively. And because they possess two arms apiece and were itching to pick. We overdubbed them on a couple of tunes. Sorry, this is kind of hard to read because it's like over a photograph. Uh, besides that, it's, listen, um, no it's almost that. 50 years old. Well, I yeah. think it's more of a design thing because you have a giant picture of, of John in front of a, a barn and the lines of the barn are like bleeding into the, the text here. So well, that makes sense. That's a, kind of what I was going to say. The only reason they're overdubs is because they only have two arms piece. They, <laughs> if they wanted, they wanted another instrument. They had to overdub it. They had to. You could hear in the vocals how they're leaning near the mic and back away from it. Yes, it uh, I was really going to talk about that on a couple of the songs. Yeah, but, absolutely. But, but uh, yeah, some tone things and yeah. Uh, well, but i don't know if this is the kind of stuff you're interested in but uh we can keep going but uh um i, I was going to say something about 500 sunset because i learned to play the banjo at 500 sunset so there's a bunch of my old fraternity brothers that i owe a, a, a debt of gratitude for listening to that crap <laughs> nice. uh, while i was while i was trying to figure out um foggy mountain breakdown you know right um so thank you um beta brothers if anyone's been in a room with someone trying to practice an instrument they understand yeah <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, maybe, I'll, claw, I'll call claw hammer keeping us all up at two in the morning it takes a <laughs> maybe uh yeah you know i wished i could have perfected claw hammer but i was so ingrained in the scruggs three style that 
mm-hmm. and I've, I've fiddled around with it, but you know, I'm, I'm getting old now. I'm going to stick with what I know I can do, you know, <laughs> but it's a cool way to play a banjo. Anyway, uh, John Simon goes on. Oh. Besides that, they listened to no playback during the recording. And as a result, the music flowed freely. 10 to 20 tunes a night, one or a few takes a piece. John and Norman play together on the road. Dave hadn't played with them since these, se- these three sessions. John, who wrote Gentle on My Mind, among others, came up with a great batch of fresh songs for the occasion, more than we could squeeze on an album. Some, like Streetcar, Old Joe Clark, and Bye Bye, came out of his past. All Fall Down comes out of his present. On the Road, My Rag, Late Last Night When My Willie Came Home, Put You on the Road During One-Nighters with John and Norman. And if anyone has an old Orpheum five-string with a 12-inch open-back pot, or a 12-inch Farland open back 28 and 3-8-inch scale, when you listen to old Joe Clark, you'll know what to do with it. John Simon. Oh, very cool. I, I mean, that... Uh, oh, my thunder, son. <laughs> you, uh, so so we w- you went over them already or in that, uh, that, that little snippet there you just read, but uh, we'll briefly go over the yeah. personnel, uh, personnel again. Um, We'll, we'll start off with, with Dave Holland. So Dave played bass on this. And if anyone out there is a, is a jazz head, you'll know that he is a, he's very famous, a very famous guy. And um, like you said, this, he, you know, maybe this was the first time, right. That he had played with these guys. Um, and so, I mean, he was kind of the new guy in the circle. It's incredible. And, and uh, yeah, uh, and I think he played with Miles Davis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's... I'm not a hundred percent sure of that, but I, I believe I heard that he, yeah. he was a very accomplished bassist. Yeah. He's, he's in like hall of fame. And I mean, he's got, a, he's got a ton of his own recordings out there. So that, I mean, it was very cool to learn that, you know, he's, he's the, he's the bass player on this. And, um, and then uh, Norman Blake, guitar and mandolin and that was you know like you said that was john's road guy that was his you know that was his right hand norman was a very soft-spoken uh but i i i called him kind of the keeper of the flame he and doc watson uh they were the flat pickers if you needed a flat picker and then uh tony rice was very young at that point but he he followed very soon after and and they dominated uh flat picking guitar and there have been a bunch of greats uh come along and now we've got this billy strings character that uh uh what a player yeah and you know all of these musicians that we've mentioned like sam bush and and uh um the, the guitar uh the guitar player. Uh, why is his name escaping me? <laughs> uh, Doc Watson. No. Billy, uh, Billy Strings. <laughs> Tim Rice. Tony Rice. Tony Rice. Oh wow. Yeah. So that was a brain fart. Uh, Tony yeah, Rice. No problem. Tony Rice, Sam Bush. Uh, they all joined John Hartford in later albums. Um, to yeah. play with him. 
I think yeah. they're both on Nobody Knows What You Do, which which comes right after this album, I think. Mark Twang's right after this one. Ah, well, that's a story in itself. That could be a whole podcast as well. <laughs> uh, and, and, and won a Grammy. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, the man himself, Hartford. Uh, obviously, Vokes, violin, banjo, guitar, uh, playing those all at the same time because he didn't want any overdubs. <laughs> And uh, yeah, then you mentioned yeah the the guy who who wrote that um, that little uh, snippet there on the back of the album, John Simon. Uh, he was a producer. Uh, he was actually good friends with Albert Grossman, who was the guy who started uh, Bearsville Studios. So you know a little connection there that you know got him in there. Uh, Albert Grossman was oh no no not Albert Grossman John Simon. He was famous for working with the band. So um, that was all happening up, up there in New York. And, yeah. Uh, I don't know much about this studio that Morning Bugle was recorded in, but I get the idea there was there were things happening up there too during that time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, yeah. Well, let's let's get into the album. Um, it opens up with a little number called Streetcar. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's a pretty cool one. Uh, just just a little song about um, a streetcar just driving through, the, you know, just driving through the rural areas, picking up people. Yeah, um, my my thoughts were that that this was kind of a nostalgia thing. Uh, yeah. John Hartford was a doctor's son um, in St. Lynn, grew up in St. Louis, and it was a river town. And I sort of envisioned that maybe there was a there were streetcars when he was a kid, uh, maybe in the area he lived. I don't know, but it's, it's just kind of a cool little tune. I like the, uh, I like the banjo tone in this. Um, somebody was talking about moving, uh, in and out, um, from the, the mic. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't know what banjo Hartford used on this, uh, record, but, you'll notice it has a really woody tone and later on john hartford during banjo made a signature john hartford banjo that had a wood tone ring but this banjo he was playing my guess it was one that he'd picked out that had this really kind of woody tone to it and mm -hmm. i thought maybe you might be interested in talking about that for a little bit because um, it it became a thing and and hartford's sound and then later he added dancing on a piece of plywood that was electrified and he'd do a jig while he played the fiddle or the banjo or, I mean, the guy was, uh, incredibly yeah. talented. That's, that's very cool. I mean, it, I, I don't know if, you know, it was meant to connect like this, but when you say that, what, what comes to my mind is, you know, a streetcar made out of wood, you know, like, uh, yeah. right. you know, riding the rails. So it's like this, this connection of like the, the, you know, the material of this, of this vehicle and also the, you know, the, the sound of, of the music at the same time. I don't know. It, that's what uh, I can see. Uh, I can see that now uh, that, 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 you know, the first thing that came into my head was, was the word nostalgia. And then the, the sound of that banjo. And again, I talked to you about going back to a couple albums before when, he was playing uh, and the Nashville sound was with him. 
this was a completely different kind of noise we were hearing from a banjo player. And uh, I think the sound of that banjo was uh, became somewhat iconic, at least among bluegrassers. Um, and a lot of traditional blue, bluegrassers did not like this period of John Hartford. Um, hmm. That's interesting. It was, uh, you know, maybe it was hippie music. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, again, I'm a school teacher's kid from a small town in Kansas, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe lyrically he was getting a little wild, like he was getting a little maybe psychedelic with his with his imagery and with his with his style, like you oh, said. Very, very much so. And we'll as we go through the songs, we'll talk about some other things, well, too. Speaking of imagery, I, I just wanted to point out, I think that one of the coolest thing that John Hartford does is he is so good at musically depicting a visual picture in your mind and i think yeah. is a really good example of it like for some reason like on some of the runs he does when he goes really high and they come in so slow i can just see wheels turning you yeah know? And, and just the way he plays it, it it's almost like he is giving you this picture and he does it and he doesn't just do that on this song like uh there's a song on mark twang where you know he's singing a song about a steamboat and he you know he phys physically makes like a yeah <laughs> right sure puts you in that place and i think he was yeah, always feel that. and and doing it with a very you know low production like he just it's just him and his banjo but yet he can still put you and paint a visual picture <laughs> Like he almost uh, starts it up like a streetcar. He almost starts the song up like tick it tick it tick it tick it tick it tick it. It does start that way. I didn't think about that. <laughs> and uh, he, I could give you, you know, you were talking about imagery, and I could give you other songs that were recorded long before any of this came, and he could still do imagery, uh, yeah. even if, even with the Nashville sound behind him. His lyrics were uh, they were solid. Yeah, he's a great writer. You're talking about like nostalgia. Under, the, underappreciated, the, I think. the the line that The line that I like in this one is in the in the second verse where he says, "Sitting on the sandbox, pretend I'm in control." So you, you kind of get the feeling that like uh, this is like in his imagination as well. Like he's a kid pretending yeah. that he's driving the streetcar. So it's not even it's not even real. Like <laughs> that's I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool that it's it's it's, uh, it's imagery. Yeah. And uh, what Ben's talking about, there might be a word for, we just don't know what it is, but, you know, it's kind of like alliteration or, you know, one of those kind of words where, you know, the, the words paint a picture or the sound creates a physical. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, the words add to it, but I was just talking just musically. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, right. it's, this, it, this is a, a good song to come out the gate with because it, it really showcases his his skill in that area for sure. Um, we strip down, we strip down uh, music and take the electricity away. It takes you somewhere. There's yeah. just nothing you can. There's you can't avoid it. When yeah. your ears hear that type of music with no frills and whistles on it, it takes you somewhere. It's in all of us. It's the front porch. It stands on its the back porch, depending mm -hmm. on the porch you like to pick on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, a track two. Nobody eats at Limbaugh's anymore. 
Lime. It's actually line boss, but line boss say, uh, you know, uh, I am supposed to represent John here. So <laughs> <laughs> this is our geography song. I call it cause you know, it's got like a lot of specific places. He calls this out. Is one of, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. Not my favorite, but certainly one of them. And when I was a young man, I'm going to say 1975 and I was in dental school my buddy Rob Wilson and I got in a 68 Camaro got up from a lecture in dental school in, in on a Thursday afternoon and drove through the night to Nashville, Tennessee and line boss was a restaurant there and it was open all night. And I would refer you now to a song that was written by another one of my favorite songwriters, Rodney Crowell called Nashville. 1972 so fellas we've just tied in another uh, <laughs> album yeah. from 1972 but actually he wrote that song recently it's a beautiful piece of work for people like me who maybe were young aspiring musicians or maybe we were just dreamers or maybe we were busy in dental school but that song really lit me up when I heard it. And it's, it's a new song by him. I mean, relatively new, okay. uh, but I wanted to mention it because he talks about locations too. And this song reminded me of that song. So I felt uh, like I should include, include it in the conversation. Um, and then uh, Ernest Tubbs record shop is mentioned. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that just this year, they announced they were going to close yeah. Ernest Tubbs record shop. And in the song, it says Ernest, Ernest Tubbs record shop is dark. Yeah. And this was all, a, he was really, this was a follow-up song to one that he did on aeroplane called they're going to tear down the grand old Opry. And this song is really a bookend uh, for me uh, about that whole thing where you're really going to disregard the mother church and you're going to build this big theme park out on the edge of town. And you're going to, you're going to turn off the lights in the Ryman. Well, luckily uh, they didn't. <laughs> and they didn't. And then I, I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to talk about this, I better check and make sure. And lo and behold, the people that own uh, Robert's uh, Western world, which is one of my favorite haunts in uh, Nashville and a million other people. Um, where was I going with this? Uh, you wanted to check and see if it was, you wanted to check and see if it was still open? Um, yeah, no, where I was going with this is the people that own oh, yeah. Robert's Western World, I think are going to buy Ernest Tubbs record shop oh, okay. and try to keep old some of old nashville because nice. you know hat show print isn't there anymore and groon's guitar shop's not there anymore and you know some people still are there, but they, they're not on broadway which they're is... still there well it's a good point but you know old guys like us traditionalists uh we miss those spots and uh you know 
we don't want to get to an old versus young thing tonight. That's a whole different podcast, right, guys? Yeah, but you—I mean, you basically—you basically summed up what the song is, which is—it's just a kind of a a sad lamentation about the way that Nashville has changed. And the other thing I got to talk to you about, guys, about line boss is this was a late night hangout, yeah, and that's what made me think of of. Rodney Krause song is this is where guys like Roger Miller and dudes like Tom T Hall and the songwriter guys, there's no telling what they're up to, but they're in there drinking coffee at three and four in the morning, sharing ideas and writing stuff down on napkins. And that was going on in line boss. I guarantee you. Yeah. And now, and now, and you know, it's like Willie Nelson in the alley behind uh, Tootsie's, you know, and now we're going to just forget that that happened, you know? (laughs) So it's, it's a song for those of us who remember old Nashville. It's, it's, it is a, a a lament. Yeah. 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 like you said, he mentions a lot of things. He mentioned the opera. He mentions uh, Merchant's Hotel. Um, yes, which was they were very close to each other. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know all the old spots, and uh, it's a cool song. Everyone's gone to the park. I'm guessing there's the a lot. Park of- is the new new opera. Yeah. Okay. Everyone's <laughs> gone to the park. You know. <laughs> Are we really, you know, he's basically saying, are we sure we really want to do this? And, <laughs> you know, thankfully the mother church was, was saved and isn't a uh, high rise hotel right now. Yeah. I've, I've been to the Ryman. Um, saw a show there. Good, good, good spot. Really. I, I, think I was there with you, I believe. Yeah. 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 We saw, we saw the Decembrists on their, uh, on, yep. a, on a, on a tour that was meant to be at that place, which is what I liked about it. Well, that, that place is like an instrument itself. Yeah. It, it moves with the music. And uh, sure. I've only really, I've been in it times, but I've never really been to a show. And you guys might find it interesting. My first time in the Ryman was to hear Chris Hillman, uh, Roger McGuinn, Marty Stewart, and the Fabulous Superlatives <laughs> do a tour on the Sweetheart of the Rodeo which we've already mentioned had John Hartford as a banjo on it. Oh, very cool. You know, we're getting all intertwined here. <laughs> uh, all right. Being cool. a, a mini series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, all right. Tra- track three, Howard Hughes's blues. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a funny song. If I he didn't have a nickel. If he <laughs> didn't have a dime, he could do whatever he damn well, please. Yeah. Is there his nurses and his chauffeurs all stand around and sigh. I, I almost like, I kind of feel like it's just, um, well, it has to, it's, it's gotta be like satire in a way. Like he's, he's, he's he doesn't really feel sad for Howard Hughes. Cause no. like how, how are you going to feel sad for a billionaire, you know, who well, locked himself actually, inside of a Vegas actually hotel? Howard, Howard Hughes is, is a bit of a tragic, individual depending on your point of view he had lots of money but he was also uh ocd he was uh uh, he was a genius but you know might not have uh the same colored socks on and we may talk about that in another song but you know um howard hughes would be what bill gates or uh 
um oh who's the tesla guy yeah well, yeah elon or except uh, howard hughes actually built something instead of just buying a company <laughs> well you know uh, you can't knock those guys for creating um ways to make money as long as it's not hurting anybody and we don't want to talk about that but um there's nothing wrong with money uh but i think what john harper's saying in this song is uh good luck being happy with it yeah you know? yeah um and, great point uh, and you know uh, i think for me that's the take-home message now there's other things in there you might think are more important but that's what i got out of it that's and, why I like the title. It really just says all that. That's the Howard Hughes blues. Money, yeah. money, money doesn't buy every love, you know. It, and it, yeah, and it doesn't make me keep from wanting to put fourteen locks on my door and you know <laughs> not cut my fingernails. Right, pee in bottles and stuff. <laughs> right. And, and and another line that I thought was noteworthy was, you know, success is just a mess of overdues. Yeah. And and that kind of popped out a little bit uh again it kind of goes back to the same thing you know i like that he, he says uh, a lot of people are writing books i don't have that time so i'll just write this song uh right <laughs> it's good it's like, that. that's cool john yeah. was was really like I, I i think that's a part of him that is really cool is that he's just he's very quirky but he's For sure and uh and but it's he, still brilliant even though even if he's being you know tongue-in-cheek satire yeah john john was an entertainer but in person he was uh he was much different oh uh, yeah well, why not you know we're at we're at a about one third in the album why don't you uh regale us on <laughs> when you met john hartford <laughs> maybe that, let's let's can we maybe save that until we're done with the track list okay. here Okay. Okay. Yeah, because it's uh, you know, if, if by the time I get my embellishments in it, uh, it's another podcast. Uh, so uh, moving on, we mentioned the song already. Uh, I'll fall down, which is probably my favorite song on the album. Same. Hey, same here. Uh, uh, hey guys, I'm really sorry, but I've got to take this. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, I'm so oh no, this is, that's uh, okay. We'll pause. The whirly pigs are coming. You're kidding me. The whirly pigs. What are we gonna do? Was that was that your friend Billy Strings? It was Billy Strings. Oh man. I take it you've heard his cover. Uh, I haven't heard it, but Ben recently told me about it. Uh, you you need to uh, tie yourself up to the mast. He, uh, he showed me that he did a he did a live version uh recently with his good friend les claypool uh, it's a great song it's a rock song i think uh i'll let you guys uh argue that point again not an authority but it it rocks well and uh les claypool uh who is a rocker so it makes sense that les joined billy on stage at the ryman to cover yeah and and John does John does this like very he does this very quick uh, vocal style and he's he says the words like real fast oh. and and I totally like I saw like Les Claypool in my head when you told me about that I was like he definitely was singing this one for sure that goes back to that musical imagery just the way he sings it yeah it 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 oscillates 
it, it oscillates with the rapid singing. Uh, you're exactly right. And uh, what the heck is a whirly pig to a kid out in Kansas? I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't know. I don't know what what a whirly pig is and why is it coming after us? But, you know, and I, I think maybe it's a song about maybe paranoia. I don't know. That's yeah. something I tossed around in my head. Yeah. When he says hide it in the morning, what, what are we supposed to be hiding and why well, in the morning? It was the seventies and, and I'm, I'm assuming some type of contraband, you know, <laughs> yeah. but who knows what Hartford was thinking, you know, um, Amazing bass, amazing bass. Yes, Dave Holland really shines on this song. Uh, it's yeah. another, another not surprised that Les Claypool would want to play this song. I mean, it's, it's just solo on this classic bass. Does this song, uh, Jr. You're a, you're good on the skins. Uh, does this have a unique time signature or just a that's an the next song. rhythm? Yeah, the next song does. This one is just the uniqueness of the two parts and the way that they go together. Uh, I think it's all still four. It's just they're okay. two different well, like dynamics to, of it, and they really shouldn't work out, together. I couldn't, I couldn't seem to fit it, and and you'd know more about it than I would. But um, it was, uh, it's got a unique rhythm to it. Yeah, it's got that because it's you know you can do those. You can count four four quick or slow, you know, and it's got right. that quick, quick kind of first part. Um, you right. can play that same four four beat through the whole thing, but I that's I the two parts really shouldn't work together. And and funny enough, in my opinion, Hartford's vocal ties it together, yeah. both of those parts. But I, I just love the simplicity of the two parts too. I'm afflicted with often being unable to write a bridge at least right off the bat <laughs> and just having yeah. two parts when i write something so yeah. not only is it just those kind of two parts but that's it that's all you get and it's unapologetic and i love it yeah so it really doesn't good. have a vamp in the middle and hard yeah. listeners will know what i'm talking about that's on aeroplane so the but, uh, the, the next back one to, back to mm -hmm. the songs <laughs> <laughs> yeah the next one on the road this is the one with the odd odd time signature okay well you guys can educate your listeners on that because i'm not a drummer it's in five and yep. uh, okay and, yeah uh, oh yeah so strange five four oh my god well <laughs> 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 it's, it's unique and and to me the song Harkins, you know, it's songs were always lead me to other songs. And, and to me, he's, he's talking, it's his version of the feelings he has being lonely on the road. And, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a common theme uh, amongst musicians. Uh, yeah. you, you reach this level of proficiency and your reward is you get to be gone all the time, you know, and there've been a million songs, you know, uh, Waylon, or, you know, are you yeah. sure Hank done it this way? Or um, probably my favorite road song is by a guy named Russell Smith, who uh, sang lead vocals for the Amazing Rhythm Aces. He had a song called The Road. It's my favorite song about this topic or, you know, yeah. uh, there have been other songs about, you exactly. know, on the road. Album. Huh? Frank Zappa did an entire album about the road. On the road. Yeah, I mean, it like people could say that it, at some point it becomes a cliche, but at the same time, 
you know, these musicians are, are always told to write what you know, and they all know the same thing, which is, you know, being a musician means that you're going to be on the road and that's, that's going to take up a, a, a big part of your day, your yeah. day-to-day life. If you want to, if you want to take it to the next level, that's, uh, that's the price you pay. And, uh, you know, uh, well, I'll refer you to Russell Smith's song, the road. It's, uh, I'm the road. No. I'm the road is the name of it. Sorry. Um, uh, check that out sometime. I always We're talking about Hartford. I always think about this thing that the Reverend Horton heat said one time in an interview about, uh, traveling on the road, you know, being a road musician, and he, he, he says, like, I've been all over this entire country and I haven't seen a damn thing. Yeah. Meaning that, like, it's just it's just venue to venue to venue, you know, right. <laughs> You're not he, he has no time to actually stop and, like, see the country that he's yeah. traveling across. Well, and all the artists, with. all the artists can relate with you. And it's not a far off concept to grasp as a listener that isn't traveling. Yeah, just yeah. A, a non-musician can can relate to to yep. weary travels you know yep. well uh, yeah um next up uh morning bugle title track yeah uh this one is where yeah the lyrics the lyrics do start to get a little strange on this one and you know i can kind of i can kind of see why the more traditionalist guys are like, how come you ain't telling a story you know like what's what is all this supposed to mean yeah i i see it as a love song uh, yeah. Hartford style. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, to me, it kind of harkens back to some of his earlier, earlier songs, uh, like gentle on my mind or, um, uh, oh gosh, uh, natural to be gone. Beautiful song. If you ever have a chance to hear that in any number of versions, uh, uh those, um, uh, those kinds of songs, this, this song almost seems like a throwback without all the production is, is what I had as my takeaway. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what? After reading the lyrics just now, I, I was probably thinking of something else. Yeah. The, the lyrics don't really get too weird. They, like you said, it does seem like it definitely is just sort of like a, either a, a love letter to someone in particular, or maybe a love letter to a place. Maybe it's um, he, he, he wants to get closer to something. Yeah. Uh, is what I hear, and uh, I assume it's a uh, some gal, but you know, maybe it is a place. Yeah, not much left in the cupboard. Half past three, and time to make the survey again. Uh, I don't know. That was interesting. It's, it's sort of like what? What's the like? Is that is supposed to be He's like his day sure job? Stands. He's not sure where he stands. Is is what I would say. But. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a writer, no. but, um, I like the line, uh, listen to the rainfall falling on the earth ball. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I, I've, I've never heard it referred to as that before. That was like the first time I've ever heard it. The planet that, referred that line, to as the earth uh, ball. That line. Yeah. Listen to the rainfall falling <laughs> on the earth ball. Um, uh, you know, it's almost like he got like when he was writing those two lines, he got to falling on the earth and realized it doesn't rhyme yet. And so then he was he just added that word ball and like that. I mean, that makes complete sense. There's no telling what minds like that, dude. <laughs> but it's uh, it's 
it, it's a cool song, but it 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 didn't have the edginess that that stood us on our ear uh, when the these two albums came out. You know, yeah. uh, I thought it was kind of a softer, more yeah, a reflective morning kind. I mean, yeah, it's it it sounds like something he wrote sitting on the couch in the morning. I mean, and maybe in the '60s, but. I don't know. Yeah, but he has uh, he it he definitely has like one of the like the strongest lines in this, and it, it could be why he wanted to name the album after it. But he says, "I tried to be like everybody else, but my mind and my body had other plans." Yeah, that that's huge. Yeah, um, and I've heard Hartford say that the song "Gentle on My Mind" gave him the freedom to do other things. Which and, uh, the lyrics of that song are handwritten lyrics of that song are hanging in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Yeah, wow. I think I took a picture awesome. of it actually. But but yeah, it's uh, um, he was a traditionalist. He was a, a, a keeper of fiddle tunes. He was a uh, he was serious about what he wanted to do musically. And um, I, I think he made enough money off of uh, Gentle on My Mind to uh, allow him to get stuff done that he wanted to do. Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, is this the yeah. last song on Side A or the first yeah, yeah. one on Side we're, B? We're moving on to Side B now. Uh, okay. And Side that's B opens. That's a good side ender. It is, definitely. Uh, and Side B opens up with uh, Old Joe Clark, which I, I think was the only song not completely written by him this is a bit of his old traditional song right well yeah there's a store actually there's a fiddle tune called old joe clark and it's it's a standard uh bluegrass fiddle song and people lots of different people have put put words to old joe clark and Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what harford's done here the the chord progression and the 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 melody lightly follow the fiddle tune and he's, I'm not sure I fully understand what he's talking about in this one. I, there's I know. Almost, I, there's I almost do. some biblical references. There's yeah, uh, I'm not sure what he's saying here. He I, I do, I do get a, more. <laughs> I get a kick out of his, uh, I get a kick out of his uh, little falsetto part that he likes to put in the chorus there. It was like the oh. glory roll. <laughs> when he goes up, uh, he, it was like the first time that he's like done that on this record so like when he yeah when he finds when all set up yeah it, <laughs> yeah it it blows you away when he does it because his his voice is uh pretty relatively deep and and boy he can pop up into that falsetto and it's it's amazing and and you know the other thing i wanted to mention about this song is you know i was a young kid and i was wanting to play a banjo and then I'd learn about some other banjo or whatever, but the, the line in here that, that says, uh, I need me an Orpheum five string with a 12 inch open back pot. Yep. Well, I didn't have any idea what that meant. And so it led me into, you know, kind of studying the instrument a little bit and what an open back meant and, and, uh, you know, a 12 inch pot. Well, this one I've got, what's it. So, you know, it, and, uh, I think it kind of sent me in a direction of learning a little bit about instruments and that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah. He also mentions the 12 inch Farland open back, right? 28, three eighths inch scale. They're they're old. They're old banjo companies. Now I think 
Orpheum might still be around, but I think they just bought the name. But in the old days, so they made quality instruments. I think Orpheum was actually out of New York. But, um, you know. I just, I think it's funny that in this, in this song and then the next one we're going to talk about, like his lyrics kind of become like more technical. It's like, you know, he mentions these, like these very, these technical specs about these instruments. It's really kind of comical. He's basically putting in a one ad in his song. (laughs) And then, and then there's one up in the attic, you, uh, you have a buyer. Uh, you know, it's kind of cool that that and then and then the very next song my rag most of the song is basically he's just telling you what he's playing <laughs> exactly yeah. he's just, he's just giving, he's telling you here, yeah here the, here's the chord here's the my, chord. here's the next chord my thought about this was uh you know as a guitarist sometimes you'll get little passages or riffs or and, and you'll fiddle around with them. And maybe all you're doing is just warming your fingers up. And, and I kind of think that's where this came from is, is John had this little passage that he would do and maybe he'd add a few chords to the end of it and it morphed into something. And then he said, you know, I'm going to put words to this. <laughs> it's my and, rag. And, and he, uh, yeah, he, he name dropped someone that I'm surprised you haven't name dropped yet. Uh, Arthur Fielder, Fiedler. Uh, I have that in my notes. He he said uh, he said I need a mess of them fancy chords, the ones like Arthur Fiedler uses. Yeah, you know, uh, the guy was just a genius. You know, here's some uh, leader of an orchestra. and uh he needs some of those fancy chords well i also think this song is a good example of just sort of how people in bands and musical groups like teach each other their songs i mean that's how you know when we would play a lot that's how you would teach me you know you would sing the chord what you're playing as long as while you're playing it right and yeah that i it kind of is a good representation of just the culture of being and playing music with people. Right. Now, I don't remember ever taking your fingers and showing you how to do something. I, I felt like you kind of picked most of that up on your own. But yeah. But if, if, you know, if you're trying to teach a new simple cowboy chord song, you'd always be like, right. We yeah. Go to a and then we go to D, you know, yeah. like, right. Like, you're kind of old, uh, and you know i find myself doing that you know in the bands i'm in now you know yeah. if, if we're trying to flush out well, i was trying to teach you three chords in the truth son <laughs> <laughs> um so the next one uh late last night when my willie came home uh i is is this another one that's that he didn't write i don't not it's sure because it's okay, because it, it feels and, like uh, this is from the perspective of a of a young girl, which I I think is kind of funny for John to sing. Right. Well, Willie Willie's been downtown and he's been up to no good. Yeah. Put it that way, and uh, you know, uh, she's about had all she can take. Yeah, uh, he he like he made a promise to her right there on his on his mama's kitchen front, floor. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And uh, the other thing about this song is uh, um, what what something stood out 
Oh, you were asking me if Hartford wrote it. And I know that this goes back to at least a guy named Uncle Dave Macon, who was an early radio Nashville guy. <laughs> and that was the note I couldn't quite retrieve here with my elderly vision. But yeah. uh, um, I know Uncle Dave Macon uh, did a song like this. And I think John put his own spin on it, of course, but it's a, it's a traditional song. I also really like uh, Norman Blake's background vocals in this. Yeah, good call. Oh, yeah. On the Oh Me and Oh My, you, it, it, those, those really stand out to me. Yeah. This. Uh, Norman, Norman uh, was, uh, again, soft-spoken guy, but he could do so many cool things, uh, and harmonies were one of them. Bless the right-hand men and women. Like, I've always been obsessed with the people that are the back band, the backing band, the people that are like, you know, Eric Clapton's rhythm guitarists and, you know, these people that just stand underneath these greats yeah. and, and Eric prop, Clapton prop them up. Would, Eric Clapton would be the first to tell you how important they were, I'm sure. But, you, yeah, know, yeah. They, you know, some maybe not, but they know why that guy's standing there. You know, yeah. uh, I need a I need a rock solid uh, acoustic rhythm behind this. Yep. or we don't have a, we don't have a chance you know yeah um well and and you know i think about greats and of course i know country more than but but you know you link uh, dwight yoakam and pete anderson and you know the, it's the right hand man and, tom uh, Petty and mike campbell tom Petty go. and mike campbell it go you know uh gosh uh clint black and hayden nicholas you nice. know yeah. they they were a team and they wrote so many fantastic songs and he was an incredible picker, but he was always in the shadows, you know? Yep. Uh, and, and it goes on and on, um, those kinds of collaborations that it's just, uh, well, Merle and or, uh, Merle Haggard and Roy Nichols, Nichols uh, yeah. or how about the greatest one of all Buck Owens and Don yeah. Rich, mm. you know, and then we can talk about the Bakersfield sound if, no, on another podcast but george <laughs> jones and roger miller yeah that's uh, a pretty solid one right there uh, well you know uh and then roger I, turned into roger. Huh? then roger. roger miller is a is a whole podcast too <laughs> <laughs> bless the right hand men and women in the backing bands i just yep. always yeah you, you need those soft-spoken people that are good to stand there and hold you up solid absolutely um uh, Next is a, a bit of a, a sad one. He like goes a little down tempo on got no place to go. And yeah, it, it is, it is that pretty much just. Yeah, uh, I, I wrote down it's, it's a Hartford blues. It's a Hartford blues song. I think what makes this song great is Dave Holland. Yeah. Play, playing the bow on his. Yeah. Double. It's, it's really good. And he has a break in it, an instrumental break where he plays this blues lick, but he's playing with a bow and it's, and it's yeah, so and cool. I, it's, it, and he knows, yeah, he, he knows that this one is going to be a bit of like a, a heartbreaker. And so it was like, what, you know, what can I do to make it, to make it stand out? Yeah. And you put the bow on it and that's just like, you I know, it chills every time I hear that. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's like making the instrument weep. And uh, John does some mighty good falsetto work on, uh, on uh, this song too yes uh, that you know where he it's it's like an octave 
what's your name please explain <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, and then uh, closing out the record, I think is my other favorite song at Bye Bye. And when I, when I first heard this song, every time I hear this song, actually, uh, I, I just think of, I, I mean, the song itself is great, but I think that it would make an awesome uh, punk rock cover. I think it, it just, it has this, like, I hear like, I hear like dead Kennedys or somebody like doing it. Cause it's just so fast and it, yeah. it's just kind of just silly. It's got like you know, just the silliness of him just being like, bye, 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 bye. Oh, it's just, right. I don't know. I was saying that however 15 times in a row, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, to the beat. And, uh, uh, and then the ending is, uh, I guess you gotta go, which yeah. I think is kind of interesting. You know, he, he's literally saying goodbye. Uh, you got to go now. Uh, listen to it. It's uh, it's not uh, bye bye. See you after a bit. It's uh, bye bye. Yeah, you got to yeah. go. It's a great book in the street. <laughs> it's like, a, yeah, yeah, it's a good call. Streetcar yeah. coming in. Bye bye. Yeah, yeah. And this and, this uh, is a yeah. this is another one where he like he likes to uh, he likes to name drop a lot of uh, geographical places. You know, you got an Illinois roadway. You got a yeah. St. Louis brewery. Yeah. You St. got Louis, yeah. the Pierce Town Levee, uh, yeah. the Mississippi Church Tower. He's like all over the place in this one. Yeah. He's saying bye, maybe he's saying bye to all these places. I don't know if you've mentioned the fact that John Hartford was also a steamboat captain. He was a steamboat captain. Yeah. Um, and he loved the river. <laughs> yeah. And so many songs are about the river. Uh, Mark Twang, you know, yep. we the mentioned that album. Uh, yep. So you John was a riverboat captain. Yeah, near the end of the song, that I I notice in a lot of places where I look up the lyrics, uh, there's a bit of a debate on a certain line in this song where it could go either way. Uh, I want to see what you guys think. the The line is either "Well, I'm here to make extreme calculations," or "Well, I'm here to mix drinks and calculations." And no one was quite sure like what the line is which I, I think is kind of funny. I it mean, is. I listen to it really closely. I hear mixed drinks. With hear my uh, with my old ears, I might come up with a third option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what a genius, either way. Yeah. Uh, Hope uh, he never this, tells this anybody. Is, is. My favorite. I'd also like to bring up that uh, on my copy of Michael Frazier's vinyl of John Hartford's Morning Bugle, Bye bye is circled. You know, um, I can tell you the story behind that if you're interested, but I, I wanted to say that this is my favorite song, and That's it's also I, was, I, was I think it I think it might be my favorite John Hartford song. And when I occasionally I will uh I have some friends that I'll share music with, and um it usually ends up getting shared by me. Um uh, it's a it, this song uh and it's hard to pick a favorite from John Hartford, but there's something about this song that, uh, um, you know, gets into the central nervous system for me. And I couldn't tell you why, but the reason that circled Ben is I had a fraternity brother, Raj, you know who you are. Um, oh, he's our, he's our biggest fan. Yeah. He listens he every episode. Oh man. Well, <laughs> I used to listen to him on Sunday morning cause he was, uh, studying, 
communication and he thought maybe he wanted to be a radio guy so he had a show and crazy uh frazier would hand him records and play this song that's why that circles around that roger took that to the k-state on a sunday morning and ben you know what i'm talking about <laughs> and bye bye john hartford um my fraternity brother r3 played that uh on K-State's radio station one morning. Nice. So that was your highlight. I had no idea that circle was there, Ben. <laughs> Great. That's a good story. But, but you stole this record from me a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're never getting it back. I listened to it today. It's going to end up there anyway. <laughs> so why don't, you, why don't you take us out with uh, your your story of meeting John Hartford? Okay. Um, uh, I was a young dentist, uh, right out of the air force and, uh, in a small town in Kansas, uh, Winfield, Kansas, a wonderful place. And, uh, there's the national flat picking championship is in Winfield, Kansas. And, and, uh, I, I went to the first gosh, 20 some that, that they had, but, um, uh, in the winter, there was a great family in, in Winfield, the Duncans who, put up a, um, this idea of having what we called the county concerts and we used the high school auditorium and we brought in acts and we saw Buck White and the down home folks with a young Ricky Skaggs. We saw the Desert Rose Band with uh, Chris Hillman um, and John Jorgensen on electric gu guitar. Talk about a pair there. Um, and Hartford came one year to the county concerts in the winter in the middle of Kansas. And after the, the Duncans would always have an after party and then artists were invited. And of course I was excited because John Hartford was going to be there. And, um, uh, I had this old album. It was called the love album. You'll have to Google it, but it's a short haired John Hartford back in the sixties. The girls wore something called hip huggers. They were about halfway up their hip with a big white wide belt. Hip the guys wear those now. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, it's 22, not 72. But anyway, <laughs> um, um, this album was, I bought it for probably a dollar ninety-nine somewhere. And there's this image of Hartford, and in the background is the midriff and the hip huggers. It's called the Love Album. So I brought it with me to the get together thinking he would look at that and say, where in the world did you get this? And he looked at me very seriously. And he said, yes, that was my third album on RCA records or whatever. And he started talking about the technical recording of it. And, the, and I'm sitting here going, have you looked at this album cover, John? You know, thinking, you know, dead serious, very quiet. A lot of the guys would uh, pick with some of us who were kind of amateur players. John just sat in the corner. He drank hot water and you could hardly get him to say a word. Uh, so he's still, to me, uh, one of my uh, biggest influences musically. Um, but he wasn't really much of a 
a storyteller, at least with strangers. My guess is if you got to know him, he was probably the best storyteller of all time, but uh, he was all business when, when he was there. And that's really my story. Yeah. That's interesting. The, old, the old saying go, never meet your heroes. <laughs> um, I have heard that actually. Well, well I did. And uh, he's still my hero. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Now I got a lot of other heroes. I don't want to leave the podcast without thinking uh, <laughs> that's I know about, but he was, uh, he was something very unique and certainly a, a genius. Uh, and what else can you say? I don't think anyone still sounds like him. I agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was another kind of closing thought I wanted to make was that you know, it put us on our ear back in the early 70s that this is something extremely unique. Uh, there's never been anything like this before. And now I'm playing it again before we have this get together. And it's just as edgy and as crazy and as respected by young bluegrass people as it was back then. There's never been anything like it. And uh, I don't think people who try to cover John Hartford would even think about copying it. Yeah. He's revered that, that, that much. Yeah. I think it could, it could come out today. Absolutely. It could come out today and be. And they'd go, what, what in the world? Where, where are these guys from? You yeah, know, exactly. Well, the Hills of North Carolina. Okay. <laughs> we're on board. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I heard. And another crazy thing that, that we didn't mention is that this album went out of print for uh, like 20 years, right? Yeah, it, it got really scarce. It, it really did. I remember when you first showed me it, we couldn't find it on CD. Yeah. And, and you had to, you had a, I had to make a copy of your like cassette or cd or like you found it some way i think i have a cd of it but uh, it was very hard to find because yeah it was out of print it's i mean it's right awesome. and i'm sure commercially uh by you know modern standards it it certainly wouldn't have been all that great it was uh you know it was revolutionary and and uh i don't know there was something very unique about those two albums I, I keep going back to uh, area playing too. And, and of course, Mark Twang was great. All of them were great during that period when he was, I call it when he was dancing on the plywood board, which he did from that point on. Huh. And then he, he got into really into fiddle tunes late in his career and uh, worked with people that had influenced him. And he learned about local regional type fiddle guys that had unique songs and he he became a student of uh old-time fiddle music um just an incredible life really when you think about it yeah i mean it's it's great an artist's life for sure mm -hmm. yeah i love this album and, and and if you know i i learned about him through ben and ben learned about him through you so uh i i thank you sir for Turn well, I, on I expect to get half the proceeds of this podcast. Okay, so we agree on that. Yeah, 58, so. 58 cents. <laughs> okay. Uh, if he didn't have a nickel, if he didn't have a dime, 
Yeah. He can do whatever he damn well please and do it all the time. All the time. And well, that's good. Th- thank you very much, Mike, for coming on and doing the show with us, man. It's, it's a great episode. And yeah, I enjoyed album. it. And, you know, if this turns into a huge cottage industry and uh, I can retire and uh, move to Martha's Vineyard <laughs> and, uh, you know, call me when the ship comes in. All right. Yeah. All right, guys. Back again. Happy 50th birthday. <laughs> <laughs>